Father, we give you thanks for your word, which has been communicated to us, which has been placed in these 66 books so that we might have an understanding of where we came from, what is right and wrong, the meaning of life and where we will ultimately end up after this life is over. We thank you that you loved us enough to let us know these things and how we can achieve greatness in your eyes, not in the eyes of the world, by doing acts of love. We thank you for this instruction and may it transform us. May this reside in our hearts and may we not forget what we read this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, recap last week, we saw that not everyone who grows old grows up. And if we follow the instruction that's given to us concerning temptation in chapter 1, remember chapter 1 is all about temptation and the resisting of it. And God gives us first the faith, then he gives us the wisdom to endure or counteract the temptations that come in our lives. And as we do, we gain perseverance. And that perseverance works eternal life in us. So the theme is faith that works in this book of James, where Romans is the inner faith from God perspective of what we have to save us. But this faith that James is talking about is a faith that's on the outside. It actually has an outworking. And the testing or resisting of these temptations, as I just said, produces perseverance, which leads to maturity. Now, as I was uh, listening to the last little bit there, not the pastor's perspective, but the food for thought that was up there and the things that we are to be pursuing love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control if we see those evidenced in our lives then we know that god is working but what about the other things hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambitions factions all those things that are listed i have to confess i fall to those a lot at least in my heart and then i start to wonder well but I thought God's working in me. I should have more love for the people out there. But yet I have attitudes a lot of times. And does that make me not saved? And Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith or not. Now it's easy to fall under condemnation. Like I'm, I'm not going forward. I'm digressing. I'm pulling back for the advancements that I'm making. Or I'm regressing. I'm going back into the flesh and into the world. Does that mean that I'm not saved? We simply know, Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, that's a promise from God, and he gives his Holy Spirit to us as a deposit, guaranteeing those things which are to come. And he promises never to take away our Holy Spirit. The the whole issue with this is the confession. If you confess, he will save you. Will you be perfected here in this flesh? We all understand, no, we won't be perfected. Will you fall back into the flesh from time to time? Yes, you will. Well, what do you do with that? How come you're not progressing forward? Well, it's First John 1, 9, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it's this battle. It's this constant tension that we're dealing with. And, and we often fall to that when we encounter something we don't like or we see the behavior or attitude attitudes or actions of others we say look at them what are they what do they think they're doing and we get this attitude on the inside and it should be but god loves them and i need to love them and they're fallen just like me and then you realize well i've done all of those things that they're doing right now myself i've 
made infractions in my driving and I'm sure people have yelled at me when I've done things like that and things that people have said in public places and the attitudes and so when this temptation comes along when this stuff rears its ugly head in Galatians chapter 5 and you fall into the discord the jealousy and fits of rage you got to turn back to Christ and say Jesus forgive me and when we don't our relationship is interrupted so he gives us this prescription of how we can avoid falling to the temptations and if we ask God for wisdom the first point I made last week to resist temptation he will provide wisdom for us liberally if if we look to him say Jesus help me with this he gives us the wisdom on what to do remember Joseph coat of many colors washed the coat Potiphar's wife grabbed it he knew he had the wisdom run Joseph run and he did that if there's a temptation to be resentful against those who are rich but we understand their fate is the same as those who are poor both pass away then we don't have to worry about those who are rich if you go to certain communities around San Diego Rancho Santa Fe or La Jolla and you see the cars you see the Bugattis you see the Porsches you see the upper end Mercedes and all of those things and you think wow that'd be fun to drive and it would they, they would be fun to drive or you have a house set on a hill over the beach that looks at a boardwalk or you know a, a vista that is just panoramic just palatial uh, building that's up there wouldn't it be nice to stay in a place like that yeah it would but you know we have a much better inheritance in heaven and so we don't need to be jealous about those people who have more than we do I think I told you last week the less that I have the more I enjoy it the less worry which is out there the less responsibility on just things and stuff and I can't take and you can't take anything with you when we die in this life this morning I was thinking about this a little bit growing up we had these things called 45s and LPs now if you said those two words to somebody who is under 20 they'd say what long play albums and we, we used to have some albums that is it 78 they're just the one-sided album that you'd put on there like that would go on a Victrola we had you know what a Victrola is you know one of those old wind up yeah we had some of those too and I remember I had a collection of albums and I got saved and of course uh, when I got saved there was this thing about rock and roll and and Elvis Presley and the Beatles and the long-haired mops that they had and the Rolling Stones and all of that in the movie Easy Rider and oh, just it was just a terrible environment our parents just kind of cursed the day that all this came to fruition and, and I had all of these albums which were there and I had them in this little locker thing my neighbor a friend at the time he had hundreds of albums and I'm thinking to myself just think if I had those albums today how much would they be worth you know I oh yeah I'd have lots of it but they're gonna fade away they're going to be trash in the future yeah but I could have had it as an investment so what we don't want to worry about storing up for ourselves treasures on earth we want to have enough to survive but when we look at the rich who are out there if I had that money boy you know what I would do with it and I already told you last week what happens to those who win the lottery not everyone but how they fall in disarray and it's the worst decision they ever made to buy the lottery ticket and the problems that come along with that the fewer possessions we have the more content we can be remember I read you the scripture last week that those who have a lot they 
they lose sleep because they're worrying about their possessions the whole time. So we're not supposed to be jealous against those who are rich. Also, a crown of life awaits those who resist temptation. And God is not the author of temptation. It is our own evil desire that causes us to fall to those temptations and sin. God only brings us good gifts and not something like temptation. It is deceptive to think otherwise. And that's what that particular scripture says. Do not deceive yourselves. This is not something that God brings to you. He doesn't set before any one of us any type of temptation that might bring sin in our lives. And then anger is a temptation which is ever-present, but it does not bring us close to God. He tells us to take note of this and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And we ought to be patient with everyone and not easily angered by others because God loves others just as much as he loves those of us who are saved. And it's so simple in this day and age. I want to ask you, for example, there are all kinds of different feelings on COVID and masks and the vaccines. And what do you think when you see somebody in a car alone with the windows down, fully masked up? <laughs> see, you, you have an idea in your mind what you think about them. You're making judgments all the time. And whenever we see somebody out there, we immediately make a judgment about them. We make a judgment what they're wearing, what they say, who they're hanging out with, if they should be avoided. Maybe you want to talk to the person. You are making judgments every second of the day with everybody you encounter. What about when you're driving? When you're driving and you see somebody who is in a vehicle that is around you doing things they ought not to do, do you just pray for them, pass them by, go on ahead? Or as you pass them, do you, do you look at them and you, what kind of person would do that? You get angry on the inside or you make judgments about them as well. And then if they look back, do you still look at them as they're looking at you? Or do you look away like I never looked at you? Do, is that what you do? You see, we're making judgments all the time. And these temptations to make bad judgments and fall into sin, they are ever present. They are always here. Now, going on with this, in James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, now I want to read this in the King James, this particular verse. I like it in the King James. It says, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive the meekness and the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. What is that? Filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Is that an ancient phrase or what? And who talks like that anymore? But I remember this from just years ago. What does this exactly mean? Filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Well, the filthiness... Another word, turpitude, and that's a word that we don't use very much, or baseness or vileness, shameful, wickedness, lack of decency, all of those things. God says, avoid those. That we're not to be involved in participating in anything that is considered filthy. And that word, we really don't use it anymore, or immorality could be used here as well and then superfluity what is superfluity it sounds like something you put in your car um, but it's not something you've put in your car this is a superlative or you could also 
say it is a hyperbolic phrase. It means superfluity. It's everywhere. It, it's, uh, it's everywhere you look. It's everywhere you venture, so to speak. And so it's the superfluity of naughtiness, which is perverseness, bad behavior, misbehavior, mischievousness. And he's saying it is ubiquitous that this naughtiness, this immorality, it is everywhere. And he says, don't participate in this. And he's speaking again to the 12 tribes, but it is information for all of us. Now, what are these things specifically? Could they be lying, cheating, stealing, sexual immorality, anger, dissension, gossip, all all of those things, deception. We're to put that stuff to the side. And we know what that is. We see it all the time. All you have to do is tune into the media and they will tell you or they will give you examples of what deception is. And this term parsing of words. What is is. Remember that? There was a guy who said that years ago. Just just trying to mislead and prevaricate and splice and, and all of those things with words to deceive to lead you in the wrong direction, not speaking forth plainly. Then verse 2, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard... But doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And so the scripture, we're supposed to hold it up like a mirror. And we're not supposed to forget it because we're supposed to be doing it on a regular basis. Now, hopefully, all of us, we looked in a mirror this morning. We said, oh, that hair needs to be plucked or that hair on the top of the head needs to be combed over. You know, I was standing in a full frontal mirror the other day and I looked at myself. You know how we tend to slip you know, and, and grow and, and thin and all of those things. And Patty was standing right there and I looked in the mirror and said, look at me. I've gotten fat. I've slipped. You know, I'm getting old. My legs are skinny. The hair's falling out. I said, you need to give me a compliment. And she turns to me and she says, your eyesight is good. <laughs> we can talk about that later. That didn't really happen. I just thought I would throw that in there. So we're supposed to look into the mirror and examine ourselves. And whenever, you know, whenever I read the scripture or I listen to it in headphones while I'm working, sometimes I just go, oh, ow, that's, ow, I've done that. That's me. Oh, all of these things. But that's where the grace pours in. The grace keeps uncovering all of that. And, and that's what you say to yourself as you're going through the scriptures and you see what you are guilty of all the time. But God says, it's all right because I've redeemed you from that. If you haven't been redeemed, then you can suffer a, an eternity of punishment and separation from God and darkness and suffering and, and this idea of being filled with contempt. That's what awaits the person who doesn't agree that that's who they are. And remember the self-esteem movement back in the 80s and 90s that you've got to tell yourself and everybody else around you that you're a good person, you're good. And we know scripture says there is no one good. No, not one. We have to have a realistic view of who we are in the, the proponents of this 
self-improvement movement. We're thinking it's going to help the individual. No, that should drive us to Christ when we realize how sinful we are. And then we get the blessing of the mercy and the grace. And we are just thankful after that. But it takes humility. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Well, the fear of the Lord is humility, being in agreement with him, what he says about us in our current condition. And so we are not to look into God's word and then forget what it says. We are to look in it and remember on a regular basis who we are and what our standing is in him. Psalm verse 19, or chapter 19, verses 7 through 11 it talks about the law, statutes, precepts, commands, and ordinances, all coming from the Lord. Verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. So that's the benefit of being in the word and knowing what the word has to say. And if we're doing that daily on a regular basis, then we will be blessed in what we do whenever we neglect that now i'm with you you know there's days i okay i didn't get into it today you know i I didn't listen to that i didn't listen to a message and i kind of fall behind i digress instead of moving forward every day and that's what we need to do and it's for our benefit now there will always be a temptation to let the tongue run wild and to not fulfill an obligation to help others, especially the orphans and the widows. Maybe you know somebody who is an orphan or a widow. Uh, in our country, in this day and age, very few people are quote-unquote orphans in the sense that it was uh, prevalent back in the time of Jesus or when these books of the Bible were written. And also this idea of the tongue. It is said in scripture, or not in scripture, it, it says, it said as a colloquialism that keep the lion of the tongue behind the gate of the teeth. In other words, clap that gate shut when you think you want to say something. And unless, you, you know, Ephesians 4.29, how many times have you guys heard that from me? It, it has to benefit somebody that you're talking to. Otherwise, you, you know the phrase. If you don't have something nice to say, yeah, you, can, you can repeat it. Don't say anything at all. Your mama used to tell you that, right? Dad, not so much, but your mama used to tell you that. And, and that's what we need to adhere to. We need to make sure that we are only saying that which is beneficial to someone and don't say things that are cutting or deriding or put them down or patronizing. And it's so easy to do that. Now, Going on with this, it says in verse 26, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Have you ever run across somebody who says, um, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual? That type of thing. I don't really know exactly what that means, but they do say that. But for us, if we are religious, we keep a tight rein 
on the tongue. Now, if you were watching or listening or reading the news this past week, there was a big thing that happened in the news. Elon Musk dropped his bid for Twitter. Now, I, I don't know if you follow Twitter or not. I, I was on Twitter when it first came out. Then I dropped it, and I heard he was going to buy it. So I got back on there because I heard things were going to change. I just want to keep track with the culture. I don't know that I have ever posted or responded to anything on Twitter because Twitter is a cesspool. I mean, it, it, you can type something on there without a filter. You just simply give in to your base instincts and say whatever you want to say and there are no repercussions for it and you can hide yourself unless somebody doxes you and finds out who you are. And you know what doxing is? That's one of those new terms. They, they give away your information where you live like Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice and the others who voted to overturn Roe versus Wade. And, and so people will do that. They'll expose who you are. And so if you say things that are off color, it doesn't matter. There's no responsibility involved in that at all. And that's why it has become a sewer. Now, there are several people that are on there. They say a lot of good things. And then you see the comments after them and you're just going, man, that's kind of over the top, don't you think? And they are just not only a finger in your eye, but a red hot poker in your eye when they want to say something against what you believe, especially if it's righteous or Judeo-Christian beliefs being expressed. And, and they just go at you like a lion. And sometimes I want to respond. But it's like the lion behind the gate of the teeth, lion of the tongue. I just go, nope, I'm not going to put anything down there. Now, it's not to say I haven't responded to things in the past on other platforms. Now, I don't have Instagram. I don't have Facebook. Uh, Twitter I have. I probably won't have it for very long because I know where it's going to revert to. And, and so you, you look at those and the comments that are made. And by the way, do you make judgments when you look at Instagram and the photos and the people you know on there and what they do and what they don't do? I bet you do. I bet when they post something, you say, oh, that's wonderful. Or you say, I don't think they should have posted that. Or oh, I never would have said something like that. And, and you start making all these judgments and it's unfiltered. And sometimes you might PM them, private message them, say, you know, I think you ought to probably take this picture down. You know, I've had people come up to me and talk about other postings of other people like, you know, do you know that this thing was on there? No, I don't have Instagram. I, I don't have the Facebook that's on there. And, and so we make judgments which we're not supposed to be making about individuals who post things that they should not be posting on there. And you see how we're having problems psychologically in our culture? Because then it starts spilling out into real life. If... <clears throat> digress a little bit here take a little rabbit trail I was talking to a youth this last week yeah and that's what they did they spoke out like that no they didn't but I was talking to somebody who was a youth this last week and I said um, so what are you doing you know you're working you siblings at home and, and you spend some time gaming there, he had a, a shirt that represented some game on the internet I don't even know what the game is but I said, so how much time do you spend on that game? And he goes, uh, I don't know. I said in a week. And he goes, well, I don't know. I said, okay, how about a day? 
In a day's time, how much time do you spend on that? He goes, I don't know, two hours, maybe, three hours. And he told me how many hours he had spent on it that day. And it was from 2 o'clock to 6.30. And that was one day. I said, okay, well, let's just take an average of two hours a day over seven days. That's 14 hours. If you multiply that by 4.33, you're getting into 50 or 60 hours a week that you're spending on that. And I said, just imagine if you had a job, 50 or 60 hours, what kind of income you could have instead of playing the game. And I said, look, I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm just giving you a suggestion here of how you could benefit your life. And, and I know this from experience. There was a game that when they first started coming out with games, they, one grabbed me like a Christmas day, and I was on it for eight hours. When I got all done, I go, what have I just done? You know, eight hours on this thing. It's, okay, I'm done with that. But it's easy to do now with YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and looking at those videos and then making judgments about all of them. Yeah, I particularly am drawn to the little um, like 30-second clips on YouTube that you can just go through. I don't know if you know about them, but some of them are so informative. You're like, oh, that was so good. And others are like, oh, swipe through that one. And, and you look at them, it, it's a time consumer. And so we, we are transplanting like the Bible and spending time in fellowship and the word and doing things like that in our work. And we're transferring that to the modern generation of the tech companies. And when we do that, it's not a good platform to be on all the time. And I'm not saying you can't be on there. You know, everything I think is okay if in moderation you balance things out. You're not going overboard. But when we start looking at the Twitters and the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the things that are said and the judgments we fall into because of that or the the TikToks, did you hear? Remember um, President Trump said, can't use TikTok in this country. Wouldn't allow anybody to download it. New administration came in, said everybody can download it. Now a report just came out that China can check every single person's phone and background and information that has TikTok on their phone. And they're recommending that everybody get rid of it. You know, it's like, well, why would that be important? You know, in China, they keep track of what's called a social credit score. And if you, they can read your phone, all your information on there. And if you're posting what's good, then you get social credits. If you get social credits that build up enough, you're allowed to travel or you're allowed to go to a restaurant or you're allowed to go to a venue that has entertainment. But if you're not posting the right things and you're supposed to be posting the right things, if you don't have enough things that are posted, then they can deem you're not eligible for that particular uh, event or to rent or to buy something. They will restrict you from doing that. You know, in Europe... I communicated this to the youth this last week. They're putting now, as of, I think it's July 6th or July 7th, they're putting now into all vehicles manufactured in Europe a black box. A black box is similar to the box on airplanes when they crash. Keeps track of everything. The communication, well, this does it in the vehicle. Keeps track of every single thing that you do inside of that vehicle with the cameras, if you have cameras on there, if you're going too fast, if you're going too slow in the designated area. If you go to Google Maps, it'll tell you how fast you're supposed to be going. It will determine if you've broken that law or not. 
and this is in Europe. And so they could send you a ticket automatically if you did something that was improper. They would know exactly if the light turns red, if you ran it when it was red, if you came to a stop sign and you did not stop properly, if you were at a rolling stop, they can keep track of all of that. And they say they're not going to turn this information over to the insurance companies. And they say they're not going to tag you to the particular information that they're going to keep it anonymous. Do you believe that? I have a bridge for sale if you do. It's a big red one, tallest one in America, up in San Francisco. And, and that's the way it's going to go. How long do you think it's going to be before it's here? I think it's already here. They can ping your phone. They can tell where you are, how fast you're going, what you're doing, what kind of turns you make. Vehicles, they all communicate with the Internet, what's going on there, how long before they give that to the insurance companies and you become a risk or not a risk and your rates are changed. They know everything that you do and it's going to cost you more if your social credit score isn't up to snuff. And then you're going to make judgments about that and you're going to start getting mad. And you're going to start getting mad at who? The government. Well, who in the government is causing this? And then all of a sudden you're falling into this trap instead of going, Lord, you said it was going to get like this. And I'm supposed to just relax, just kind of go with the flow, do what I can to be a good citizen. Don't be tempted to fall into these attitudes and behaviors which are out there. And you see how we're becoming more and more a dichotomy in this country. Last week they were talking about red states and blue states. The people in the blue states that are conservative are moving to the red states and the people in the red states can't stand the conservatives so they're moving to the blue states and you have two different sets of laws, two different cultures that are coming about in these different states, red states and blue states and we're going to start looking at these red and blue states. I, I saw a map uh, two weeks ago and this map pointed out which states hate which other states. That's exactly, and I go, you're kidding me. Like uh, uh, Texas hates California and, and California hates Florida. And, it, and you're going, they're actually spending time coming up with this. Who we hate the most on here and the behaviors that the people are engaging in. And, and one's calling the behavior righteous in California and the people in Florida are calling the behavior in California unrighteous. And we're just becoming divided. And that's the whole idea behind Satan, conquer and divide. And that's where we're going. Remember, God loves the people in California just like he loves the people in Florida. And we have to maintain that perspective. And if, would you be willing to give your life for somebody in California who is the most flaming on hair fire liberal that ever existed, that had blue hair and was just screaming at you? Would you die for them as well as you would a righteous person? Remember, Jesus died for them as well. And so we need to have an open line of communication. And if we don't have that open line, then we are doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. We're supposed to go into the world and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them. That's what God wants us to do. So we have to maintain that open line there. So <clears throat> digressing a little bit. You know, the political and moral comments that get posted on these platforms, it can lead us in the wrong direction and we develop attitudes. And we want to make sure we're not doing that, not making judgments, inappropriate judgments about people when they post anything on any one of these platforms, good or bad. Now, going on here in verse 27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. <clears throat> so if you are religious, first you keep track of what your tongue is saying. 
you hold it back. You don't say anything inappropriate. You say things that are beneficial to those who are around you. You hold that tongue back even when you're experiencing a lot of anger. Uh, remember psychotherapy when it came into vogue, like in the 60s, they'd put you in a padded room. Yeah, they, they put you in a padded room and they say, give full vent to your anger. Kick the wall, kick the padded walls in there. Scream at the top of your lungs, just do all that. And they thought, they theorized, <clears throat> that if somebody did that, it would get it out. And they'd be more calm. Just the opposite happened. It made them more angry, made them more violent because they were getting into the flesh. And we're supposed to suppress that. We're supposed to walk in such a way where we're not giving full vent to our anger. The book of Proverbs says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. And we're never to do that. <clears throat> and so the religion that God accepts as pure and faultless, on the other hand, is to look after orphans and widows. Now, I don't know if there are any orphanages I, in the United States, I don't think there are. I think there are homes where they put people in a home environment or foster care. They put them in foster care, and sometimes those kids get adopted, sometimes they don't. It's not like Mexico, right across the border. There are orphanages down there. We've been to several of them down there <clears throat> at different times over the ministry of this church. And then there are also widows. Now, every uh, environment on the earth, every culture has widows. And there are widows who are in need and widows who are not. Back then, in the time of Jesus, in the writing of the New Testament, if you were an orphan or a widow, you could literally starve to death. You had no outside help unless somebody had compassion on you and helped you out, you could die. And there was a problem with the Grecian and Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews or, that were or, that excuse me were widows inside the church. And that's when the... Deacons were appointed to take care of the administration, giving things equally out. And some were saying, well, the Hebrew widows get more than the Hellenistic widows. And, and so we need to rectify that, change that. And so the widows were taken care of by the church and those who were widows indeed. Those who actually had the need. They were in danger of starving or being homeless. And the, it was the church's job for those who were in the church who were widows to take care of them to watch over them, make sure that they were sustained and, and they even had an abundance, or orphans. You know, there was this heartwarming story in July 7th that was posted. A GoFundMe raises nearly $3 million for a two-year-old boy who was orphaned on the July 4th parade mass shooting. Remember that? The little boy's name is Aiden McCarthy. His parents were both killed in that mass shooting, and they raised $3 million for him. And I say, that that is wonderful. My only concern is... Who's going to control that money for that child? And there's so much wickedness and evil in the world. Will that child benefit? And by the time he grows to 18 years, you know, another 16 years under that, would it take $3 million? It just depends on inflation and what's going on. But at least the boy has that. If all of us could bring back his parents, we'd say have the parents rather than the money because there's problems associated with that money. But it's heartwarming to see this little boy who's orphaned and the money is being given to him through this particular account. <clears throat> and it, it just warms you on the inside. You think, wow, th that was good. And th literally thousands of people responded to this little boy in his distress. Now, <clears throat> it, in this country, we have the widows, we have the orphans, and it's appropriate uh, to help even those who run into hard times, not just the widows and the orphans. But there are people that, for sometimes no fault of their own, most of the time, 
it is a fault of their own making that they fall into trouble. They didn't have wisdom on handling their money. They made a poor choice as far as investments are concerned. Uh, they, they're just not living their life the way they should, and they're at fault. Now, if you go and help somebody like that, that's an act of mercy. The question is, should you continue to help and help and help and help the widows? Yes, until they die. The orphans? Yes, until they come of age. Then they're able to fend for themselves. So if you ever decide to provide shelter, food, clothing uh, to those who are capable of providing these things for themselves, we do a disservice to not only them, but to society in general. Now, I think all of us should jump at the chance to help somebody, whether they are at fault or not. You get a freebie. If, if somebody comes to the church and they say, you know, we're out of food. How much do you need? We're giving you food. Whether it's a fast food uh, ticket to McDonald's or you, you give them a, a card and, or take them down to the local Albertsons and give them some food, you get it. It's a freebie. We're not even going to question what's going on. What if they come back week after week? And that begins to be a problem. Maybe a second time. Third time, we're sitting down, we're figuring out what's going on here. We're not going to continue to provide. Imagine, you know, doing that with your children. Oh, it doesn't matter. They can do whatever they want and they don't have to be responsible. If you take away responsibility from people, it leads to all kinds of problems. If they're not providing for themselves... What kind of problems? Well, I, I think, first of all, it can lead to a fleshly desire of entitlement where you believe, I'm entitled to this. You see that media posts which are out there. I saw this little cartoon the other day. And you see this, and it was a cartoon, a, a student, college age. How am I going to pay for my student loans? And a guy in the background in the next frame, he's mowing his lawn. He goes, the job. Like that, that, that's what he said. That's how you're going to pay for those student loans. You know, there's this move to forgive all student loans which are out there, which means those children who didn't go to university or college get student loans, and they have to work to pay for the student loans of those who are more privileged and richer, that type of thing. And so we want to make sure this is what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to help people to be responsible. If we don't do that, and in our culture, our culture says, no, that's not what we're supposed to do. And this is, this is the dividing line in our culture today, that we are not supposed to require people to become responsible. Like, for instance, a young man who dates a woman for years and years. Should you pressure that young man to get married? The answer is yes. You pressure him to get married to that person he is dating, to become responsible, to take on the responsibility of a woman and children and raise them up. That is the biblical teaching which is out there. Is this controversial? You bet it is. Does the world buy into that? Absolutely not. They don't. But if you raise a child up and you don't not force them, if you don't lead them into the area of responsibility, it can create mental problems as well there's the idea of self-worth that i am worthless i'm not producing anything and you know some in even secular psychiatry and psychology they talk about this as well how it's detrimental 
to the next generation just to provide everything for them. You know, uh, there are certain areas, communities. For instance, we, you, we used to have this idea of hunger. There was always hunger in our country, right? And people needed to be provided for. If you go back to the Dust Bowl area, there are people who are hungry. Lots of people. And in our day and age, do we have people who are hungry that cannot get food? No, we don't. Not in the United States. If you need food, you can go stand in front of Albertsons, ask somebody for some food, and you will get some food by somebody who's in there. Well, what have they taken that to? Where have they gone with that? They have gone to food insecurity. What does that mean? It means you're worried about the food you may or may not have. Therefore, we need to give you food. They don't teach people, they're not teaching the next generation to be responsible and produce food. They're taking away the responsibility of the parents to provide food for the children. You've noticed that? There's places around San Diego, I I drive by them, that they're just providing meals no matter what. Even during COVID, they were providing meals, breakfast and lunch and, and dinner if you needed it. And there's no responsibility. Now, during COVID, I could see where that would happen, where people need food and you don't want to lose the compassion. But to make people irresponsible for their own well-being, does Scripture have anything to say about this? Now, if somebody wants to argue on a psychological or cultural basis on this, you can argue all you want. But that's not where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in Scripture saying, what does Scripture have to say? What does God have to say about working, being responsible, eating? We were just in the book. Second Thessalonians 3.10 For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now remember, I I posed to you the question, would you let him starve? The book of Proverbs, it talks about a man's stomach motivates him. That's what motivates him. If he's hungry, he's going to go out and try to find a way to get some food. Should you let the person get hungry? Well, Eventually, yes. Should you let them starve? No. You don't let them starve, but let them lose some weight. It's okay, it's okay to do that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9 says, Six days, by the way, this is a commandment. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. How many days are we supposed to work? Six. We're supposed to work six days. Well, what about Saturday and the beach and all the parties? And it's fine, you can do that. It's okay, you know. But it's this idea. The whole idea behind this is we're supposed to be working, being responsible. Why are we supposed to do that? So we have something to share with those who are in need. That's one of the reasons in the New Testament we save up stuff for others to benefit others if we take away their role in that and we're always providing for that we are doing damage to the society just look around san diego the homeless which are out there oh it's okay we'll give you a check every month we'll even provide for you needles and places to go shoot up in some states you can shoot up heroin in some states and it'll be a safe environment and we'll make sure you don't die Are we going crazy or what? This is the wrong direction to go. We are telling everybody they can be taken care of from the cradle to the grave. That's not what God had intended. 
Proverbs 14, verse 23 says, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs 18, 9. One who is slack in his work is brother to the one who destroys. And it's, in, it's explicit that you're working. And you don't want to be slack in the work. Proverbs 21, 25. The sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. That's just a few verses. It's all through Scripture. This goes against the cultural norm, what is being taught out there today. And if you make somebody, quote-unquote, feel guilty because they're not being responsible, you are the bad person. You are the one that is not leading the culture in the right direction. You are the one who lacks compassion. You are the one who lacks love. Does God love us? Does he discipline when we're doing wrong? Yes, he does. Do, Do we... You know, this idea of tough love is going away. That you're you're not egregiously harmful, but you make sure you don't give in to the desires who want to just be taken care of and get rid of the responsibility. And and it is bad. You know, it's any church's responsibility for the leadership or those in leadership positions to watch out for people like that that come in the church. We've had that several times where people have come into the church And they go from person to person or couple to couple. And neither one, none of the couples or individuals know that the other has helped. And there's times where people have given hundreds of dollars to people working the church body like that. And they do it in a surreptitious form, a clandestine way where nobody knows what's going on. And then when you find out, then we have to step in and say, what are you doing? I've had meetings, very uncomfortable meetings like that, where you sit down and you go, what is going on here? What are you doing? And they parse words and say, well, you know, we had this this one time, but we really didn't do that. And you talk to all the people first that had helped out, and you go, wow, they're just deceiving people inside the church, even in the church. Like I said in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, we're supposed to help them make a way to be productive that's our job as a a community of believers also as a family a coherent family or as friends and neighbors we want to assist them we don't want them to be quote-unquote irresponsible and this is the biblical teaching people who disagree with this they don't disagree with me they disagree with what god said god said we have tasks you know the king solomon wisest king who ever lived did everything under the sun, withheld no pleasure from himself, just indulged in everything. And at the end of it all, he said, there are two things. Love God, enjoy your labor under the sun. That's it. It's explicit. We're supposed to be laboring under the sun and we're supposed to be worshiping God, serving him. That's our task in this life. That gives meaning to our lives. If people want to fleece the sheep inside the church, we kindly ask them to leave. And, and not be here doing that. And that's tough. That's hard. Why would you do something like that? Because it's for their benefit and for the benefit of the body. So to summarize this teaching, this part here, have we neglected orphans and widows? Maybe uh, you give to organizations that take care of widows and orphans and other places. And that's wonderful. That's good. It's just whenever the opportunity provides itself, presents itself to us, we should help. In those cases, whether it's a private individual or whether it's the church, we're supposed to do that. We are not supposed to let people become irresponsible and not provide for themselves if they are able. 
There's cases where they're not able. And that's where I believe the mercy comes in. You help those people who are not able. If some people are lacking wisdom, they don't know exactly what to do, we get in there, we help them with wisdom. We set them on a track. This is what you should do. This is how you should handle it. And again, this goes against the cultural norms which are out there. You're, you're called mean, uncaring. Uh, I, I even saw a... Uh, a uh, poster card somebody was carrying with his Roe vs. Wade, like, get rid of Christianity. They were walking around, get rid of Christianity. Could you imagine what this world would be like, the United States, if you got rid of all Christians? It would be terrible. There would be death. There would be destruction. The love of all would be cold towards each other. It would be difficult. So God wants to keep us, namely, through these first two chapters, away from temptation, giving us the wisdom making sure we understand how we operate. And if we consider ourselves religious, we are to keep a tight rein on our tongue. And there's more to say about this in chapter 3. We are also supposed to take care of widows and orphans. We are not to offer perpetual assistance to those who are capable of providing themselves. And if we follow just these simple mandates that are here, these simple directives, these simple precepts, everyone benefits. If we neglect to do this, we all will receive the consequences. I think that's God's message for us. Again, it's difficult in this culture to receive that. And if you speak up against this type of behavior, you know, this, the responsibility specifically, you will be baked on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all those places. If you dare even post Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the man who shall not work will not eat. Could you imagine the firestorm that would come your way? You see how this works? The world is contrary to the things of the Spirit, and the things of the Spirit are contrary to the world. May we not shrink back from declaring what God's will is. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks again for your word. We know that this is difficult. It goes against the culture of our day. But we had asked that you would help us to be in line with what your spirit teaches. That we would not neglect your teaching. As a man who looks into a mirror and forget what he looks like and he turns away. May we not be like that individual. May we constantly be given to your word. May we constantly be given to understanding. May you give us wisdom to apply that understanding in a proper way so that it benefits all around us. In Jesus' name, the church said, please stand.